Can you believe it's February? Where did the last 31 days go? It's almost as though someone was tricked into releasing the sands of time, and now time itself is something that has become malleable, almost like a djinn from the tales of the Arabian Nights. Why the hell am I talking about that? There's too much blood in my caffeine system. Back to reality. Hello and welcome. You have tuned in to episode 7 of To the 404 and Beyond. No, this isn't a browser error. You are in the right place. Joining me today is expecting mother and carrier of the 404's biggest stick, Marseille. <laughs> Hello, Marseille. How are you? Hi, Nick. Good and you? Good, good. Alongside her is comic book aficionado and the world's biggest optimist when it comes to the gaming industry, Brad Lang. That's Hello, me. Brad. Hello. How's it going? And then there's a guy called Max. He just kind of hangs out. Hello! Hi, good to be here. I just, of course, it's the 404's soon-to-be most prolific writer, Max Malella. Max is on the phone, by the way, so if it sounds like he's broadcasting from the inside of a tin can, that would be the reason why. <laughs> in the news this week... Sorry, guys. <laughs> in the news this week, Universal Music Group has pulled all of its music off TikTok, so if you want your fitness videos and funny clips set to the likes of Rihanna, Drake, or... What's that white bird's name? <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. The biggest deal in the world, maybe. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, that's it. Taylor Swift. Well, if you want her, her music, you are out of luck. What do we think of this, Marseille? I don't know. Will this push people towards not using TikTok? Probably not. No, definitely not. If, if anything, I'm interested to see if anyone else follows the trend, right? Uh, and if that is the case, and all of a sudden all these uh, big uh, studios, music platforms start uh, pulling their their uh, songs, does that encourage more independent releases across the board? I think there is quite a lot of independent music on there already. Oh yeah, trust me. Like if I look at my wife's TikTok, it's just independent music. Yeah. And I guess TikTok is more more so about creating your own like content and sound effects mm. and then hoping that other people pick up and use your sound effects. But it is quite a big thing though. What's the reasoning behind Universal pulling their library? I'm not really sure they gave one. I think it was just kind of like just copyright just infringement. We're yeah. fed up with it. I would imagine it's something along the lines of like TikTok's massive and people are seeing these reels with our songs millions of times over and we're probably not getting a fair share for that. Yeah, yeah but then again, on the other side of the coin, you could argue that TikTok is where most people find their new music these days anyway. It's no, true. for sure. I mean, they, 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 they find music on TikTok to the extent that I think Spotify has ripped off some of the functionality of TikTok and stuck it on their front page just because it's that effective. Oh, yeah, you can see it in the new, like, UI and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, that, I mean, then I think there's a conversation to be had between, like, record labels and social media platforms of, like, well, how, you know, how do we go about letting people get exposure to these songs and enjoy these songs as part of their social media content and also, like, both big corporations win? Well... Having a look on The Verge, essentially what Universal Music Group basically did was they accused TikTok of trying to pull, bully it into accepting a bad deal that didn't soothe the record label's concerns regarding adequate compensation for artists, songwriters, and protections against AI-generated music, and online safety on the platform to protect artists from hate speech, bigotry, bullying, and harassment. Oh, that's interesting. That's what they said. That's yeah, you know something? I call BS on that. I've read Choke Point Capitalism, and I know how badly... <laughs> artists do on publishing deals with a lot of record companies. Okay, the idea that they go, oh, we're really, really concerned about struggling artists. I don't buy that. No, I, I think they're concerned mm -hmm. about Taylor Swift and people of her size. Well, well, 
people slightly smaller than her. <laughs> but like when it comes to, I don't know, is Ned's atomic dustbin on Universal? Well, if they were, I, w- I don't think they'd care about them. No, no, no probably not. Probably not. Well, of course not. I do think this this does this does speak towards like how TikTok is viewed also as a platform itself. Like if yeah, if Universal has issues with how TikTok is handling privacy and um, those types of things. It might be an issue with the platform itself. Have you, have you guys? Sorry, this is a this is a uh, related tangent. Um, I'm not sure the, the the purpose of it, but at, at the moment there's an ongoing uh, investigation with uh, in the states where they, I think it's probably an antitrust thing where they are interviewing all of these um, CEOs of the social media platforms, and one of the great things that has come out of it is one U.S. senator talking to the head of TikTok, who is from Singapore. And the whole line of questioning is, um, effectively, how much time have you spent dealing with the Chinese Communist Party? And he goes, none. I, I live in Singapore. I'm from Singapore. <laughs> so do you own a Chinese do- passport? No, I'm, I'm a citizen of Singapore. Are you a citizen of China? No, I live in Singapore. Like it's, I'm from Singapore. It's, it was. It's been a very funny uh, process watching that whole that whole thing happen. Yeah, well, it's also incredibly depressing because Absolutely. it also once again highlights um, exactly how little lawmakers in the United States know about big tech. Oh yeah. I mean, it really reminded me of that. Um, I've seen that clip, and it really reminded me of that. Um, time back in, what was it? I think it was 2016, uh, uh, just after the presidential election, or was it just, was it 2017? Somewhere around there. Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg pitched up in Congress in his booster seat. Oh, yeah. And someone essentially said to him, well, if you're, well, if Facebook's free, how do you make any money? And he went, <laughs> well, we sell ads. And, it's, and, it, and it is, it's one of those things where you're going, these people who are elected, who actually have their hands on the levers of power, who actually could make laws that would make things better for for the rest of us, are so thunderingly ignorant mm-hmm. about the space in which they're supposed to have some sort of measure of authority over. Yeah. And that's actually quite frightening. It's not funny. It's yeah, chilling. Yeah. I thought, there. <laughs> I think it's going to be two things. I think it's going to be both very funny and also kind of scary. Well, you would, communist. You got to laugh because what else What else can you do? You should call me a communist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you ever been to China, Brad? <laughs> have you ever been to China? Only on holiday. Do you have like, a Chinese passport, Brad? No, last time I didn't. I don't think so. I'm going to home affairs. I can check. Aren't you leaving the country soon? Where are you going, Brad? Where are you, are you going? Are you to go to Finland, Brad? Are you trying to go to Finland? I, I mean, this is... Man, I'm really enjoying this really hostile energy towards the old Brad man, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You're in the hot seat, bud. But coming back to the point at hand with Universal Music Group pulling its money off, uh, money? Well, I suppose it is in a way. It's music it off TikTok. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that's going to impact very much on people on TikTok. I don't think that people who make videos are going to go, well, if I can't use Rihanna, I'm leaving. Yeah, I know. Probably not. Ooh, I think I think there'll be a couple of like big songs that'll cause like a, a relative uproar for TikTok. Like you could, you know, you could argue like how much do you really care? How much does the average person really care about what people on TikTok are yelling about? Um, I'm willing to bet there's going to be a couple of like big, famous, trendy songs, particularly, you know, la, or from, from the likes of Taylor Swift, you know, um, that is going to cause some genuine upset, at least on the app itself. Well, yes, I mean, there's no accounting for the Swifties. I do think it's very interesting that, um, what I've seen a, a lot of people sort of trying to work around 
the uh, copyright infringement thing is that they're effectively taking those songs that have been banned and then sort of layering um free free music like license free music over it so you can hear what the song is meant to be but then over it you have some like awful drumming and cymbals and triangles sort of dangling over the entire thing so it's i don't know i think it's a very funny way of of, and again a very funny way of going about this really weird um restriction i I think that ultimately though it, it comes down to the consumer power i mean you know, it went, if you remember a million years ago, back at the turn of the century, when uh, dinosaurs rolled the earth and this little thing called Napster was around, oh, yeah. right? Like Napster got absolutely ganked, taken down, et cetera, et cetera. But the genie was already out of the bottle. And essentially, um, the generation using Napster had basically shown, we don't care if we are stealing music, we're just going to do it. Yeah. This is now what we are used to. This is now what we expect, and the record labels can get stuffed. And the record industry had to kind of pivot and move around what consumers wanted for the first time in its life rather than actually just, you know, lower a band hammer. So I'm going to be, uh, so I'm interested to see how this pans out for Universal Music Group. Um, because once again, when it comes to social media and stuff like this, so, you know, I hate to say it, the consumer is king or queen or some approximation of ruler. You know, they are going to find a way to enjoy their platform regardless of what Universal wants. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Absolutely. For sure. Anyway. For sure. Moving on. Talentless oxygen thief and right-wing commentator Ben Shapiro apparently has a rap album oh, out. Are we actually talking about this? Uh, oh, let's I, I didn't go. know we were going to talk about this. I'm so, please, can we talk about this? Well, this is the thing. I didn't want to keep give this trash fire any oxygen, but Max is like beside himself. He wants to talk about this. So Max, go. No, I mean, I want to talk about it, but it, it's Brad's thing to talk about. Like, I only just heard about this from Brad. I think I saw a headline about it. So this and, is your fault, I, Brad. I don't think this I is believe- my fault. This is my fault. And really, I, you're absolutely absolutely 100 correct i don't want to give it any more oxygen than it deserves but man is it so so give us, so give, give us the sparks vote it's just it's <laughs> it is just the 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 epitome of some weird middle-aged idiot grifter scam artist hey Try, okay well <laughs> i mean listen you're, you're good you're one of the good middle-aged Agents, grifters. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> grifter, uh, but he, he's just—it's just that sort of classic thing of um, a guy who is incredibly out of touch, trying his best to remain relevant within a space that doesn't really want him to be there um, by appealing to then completely the wrong group of people, like the people who are really into sort of. Uh, the, the commentaries of Ben Shapiro hip-hop. and all this nonsense. Yeah, yeah, that's what the first person you think is, right? A hip-hop devotee. Probably not, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. how bad is it, though? I mean, this is the thing, is that, like, if 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 I play, if you play this to me, I mean, I think, first of all, I find Ben Shapiro's voice irritating to be Incredibly irritating. And, 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 and by the way, even if he was saying things I liked, I would have difficulty listening to him. Yes. Um... So, but who's he made it with? I mean, is there oh, any I sort of know. pedigree to this yeah, at all, a- or, or was it or was it a case of he fired up some app he downloaded and went, "Oh, the, these breakbeats will do," and now I have, and now and now the world will hear my truth. Oh no! Well, you can rest assured, I, I'm I'm willing to bet Ben Shapiro had nothing to do with the actual like 
and I hesitate to use this word, creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think literally all he did was just read the script that was handed to him. You know, it may, I haven't even, I haven't even seen the rap yet, but I, believe me, I will be watching it the second we get off okay, of this. So I've, I've pulled up, I've pulled up some, some, inf- some information, right? Some of the Ben Shapiro wiki, um, which are very funny. Always a very reliable source. Very reliable source. So it's being, it's, he created in collaboration with Canadian rap artist Tom McDonald, whom is obviously very well known. Um, of course, everyone here well knows known. that guy. Um, to, to give For you sure. some, some highlights of it, it goes, let's look at the stats. I've got the facts. My money like Lizzo, my pockets are fat. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> sure. That's, I guess, Nick. That's kind of a bar. No, that's okay. kind of a bar. I'm not going to lie, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't, I don't want to give him anything, but that's kind of a hard line. I kind of want to bet he wrote that himself. I, I disagree with Max. I think he loves himself and his voice so much that he wrote every single lyric that he said. No, I'm after hearing that that line, I'm I'm convinced he can't have written that because that's good, and Ben Shapiro can't write well. You know, okay, like, we need to stop talking about Ben Shapiro and his nonsense, please. Jeez. Okay, so, okay. So, so just to, to just to round this off and give this part of the podcast the tissue thin veneer of uh, credibility when it comes to examining tech and the news. Um, I recently uh, listened to a podcast called The Bunker, where they essentially. Um, dissected Tucker Carlson, uh, he of, um, you know, Fox, who was kicked off after the uh, the voting machine company decided to sue them over things that Tucker had said on air, mm. right? And Tucker Carlson, without Fox behind him, is in a very different situation. When he was with Fox, the commentator on the bunker said he would kind of sit, a, sit atop this stack of right-wing influences. And what he said would kind of trickle down into them. So while he couldn't be as vociferous as someone like Stephen Crowder, Crowder could like pick up on his, you know, coattails or table scraps or whatever you want to call them and amplify them. So Tucker never had to say the 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 the, loud, the 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 silent part out loud. Yeah. Right. Since he's been dumped by Fox, he is now sat in the middle of that ecosystem, and he's in direct competition with the people that he used to, you know, um, influence. And that and competition for eyeballs in that space is very very big. Right. I mean. One of the things that Carlson was never allowed to do on Fox was have Alex Jones on for an interview. And of course, one of the first things he did was have Alex Jones on for an interview. Um, he has also interviewed Kevin Spacey. Oh, jeez. Um, which was an interesting one. Okay. But my point is, these are things you do in this space where you're basically throwing what you can at the wall and seeing what sticks. Because, you know, as much as these right wingers all go, you know, Tucker's great, Ben's great, Stephen Crowder's great, I think Alex Jones is underrated. At the end of the day, they all are in competition with each other for eyeballs. So my question to the people sitting here is, do you think Ben Shapiro releasing a rap album is going to draw eyeballs in this way? Is it a savvy move within this ecosystem, That's or do you think such it's a like good question? Oh my god, Nick! Thank you. I thought it all myself. <laughs> um, but but the, but the point is, is that do you actually think that it's going to draw eyeballs, or do you think people are going to go, "Oh my god!" First, he was burning Barbie dolls in an hour-long hate review of the Barbie movie, and now this. 
especially when the likes of Tucker Carlson are available. It's undeniable. It's, it's currently drawing. It's literally number one on iTunes at the moment. Yeah, no. but how much of that are fans? No, Brad, you're lying. It, it is. I'm, I'm looking at it now. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. It, okay, okay, I don't know if it's currently number one, but it hit number one on iTunes. Oh, on my iTunes goodness. Store. Look, I mean, like, we're talking about it, right? We're talking about it. He, he kind of won. Like, we lost. We're talking about it. Yeah, that's what he wants. Like, it's, it's not meant to be a good song. He didn't write it, I don't think, to, like, spo- like uh, what's the word? Inspire his followers directly. He wrote it so that we would get mad about it and he can tell his followers, look, we owned the libs again. You know? We made them mad. We triggered them. That's what it's about. Yeah, but we're talking about it because it's funny. <laughs> so, so, in other words, you, you, you think that this rap album of his... And is it a rap album or a rap song? It's a single. I think a single, single. song. It's a single. Yeah. Okay, to go with his hoodies. Um, you know, the thing is, though, I mean, you say, okay, out of all the people who bought that thing, how many bought it to laugh at it? I don't know why you would buy it to laugh at it when you can just watch it on YouTube for free and laugh at it. Do you think that releasing this thing, going to number one, whatever, converts into long-time viewers? I mean, is anyone here sitting here going, do you know, I, I thought Ben Shapiro was full of it up until now, but since I heard his rap song, I'm going to become a regular viewer. If we all just cast our minds back to YouTube like five years ago or so, PewDiePie, the biggest, I think one of the biggest YouTube channels at that point, was in competition with this other Indian music video channel called T T Series. And there was this just like, I think it was, wasn't like serious, but this ongoing YouTube war between the two to be the biggest YouTube video channel in, in the world. And PewDiePie sit, published a rap. And that was so random because obviously PewDiePie is not a musician at all. And it wasn't like particularly good, I guess. But that video did so well. Like the, the amount of viewers that video got was like just so many above what he would normally get on a video. So I don't know, maybe that's something Ben looked at when doing this. So in other words, what you're saying is it could just be, hi, remember me? I'm Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In which case it worked, I suppose. Well done, Ben. (laughs) We would like to hear your follow-up. Shall we give him a a quest? Drill and bass? <laughs> Maybe some gent. Yeah, do a gent track for us. I want to hear, yeah, I want to hear some right wing dr- gent for sure. Well, um, we were going to discuss some serious news, but we've now run out of time on the news section. So we are going to go over to what we've been playing around with or messing around with. And Marseille, ladies first. Um, you are expecting. Yes. And um, you can't wait for that part of it to be over. Yes. Uh, but funnily enough, you've been using a bit of a, you've been using a gadget. Yeah. So I actually was sent a gadget to use with the, the child once it, once it's here. <laughs> the child. Um, <laughs> the child. The child. Um, and so I haven't actually reviewed this said device yet. I need another component. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so th- what this device is, it's called an owlet. Right. Once, once the module has arrived, you will strap it on. <laughs> exactly. All right, good. Um, and it's, it's almost like a health tracker, like you'd see a, like a Fitbit or a really? Apple Watch, but for a baby. <laughs> I saw it. it. It was kind of like green rubbery. Yes. To be honest, it actually looked like a prop from that Cronenberg film, Existenz. I don't think I've seen that one. And I actually really love Cronenberg's films, but, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 
back to back to the the baby. So yeah, it's it's a little sock with a tracker in it, and then it monitors the baby's heart rate, oxygen, all the vitals. It, it tracks their sleep, um, and that all obviously is sent to an app on your phone, and then it will alert you if there's something wrong, or the baby stops breathing, or like because that does happen with wow. with Sid's sudden infant death syndrome. But yeah, it's just a really cool little gadget, and then it comes with a, a smart camera that you set up above the crib. Oh, that's pretty cool. And the camera senses the the temperature and humidity in the room. Mm-hmm. Because babies are, can't regulate their own temperature, so you need to regulate their temperature for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so these two devices now work together to make sure that your baby stays alive and well. Wow! Yeah. Who makes it? It's called Owlet. So, so the actual company. Yeah, is the company is not called owned Owlet. by anyone. Well, I know who the distributor is locally, and that's who I worked through to get the review units, but. Yeah, I'll be reviewing that as soon as I'm I can. Do you and know then how much it costs? It's it's fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. Just just a little sock tracker by itself mm-hmm. is um, nine or ten thousand rand. Wow! And then alongside the camera in a ba- bundle, um, it's fifteen thousand rand. Wow! Yeah. Do you think that um that kind of designing that kind of like what is it biometric that's what it is like monitoring heart rate stuff is called but yeah do you think designing that kind of stuff is easier for like when you're doing it for a baby because everything's smaller and a little bit simpler or a little bit harder a little bit more challenging because it needs to be it needs to adhere to a few different things like when you're making a smartwatch it just needs to fit on most people's adult humans wrists now you've got something that needs to sit on top of a, a very small human whose skin is really sensitive and they they can probably like easily rub it off their feet when you're not there. So it's I think there's quite a lot of like yeah, they, sm- they like, won't like they won't adjust it themselves. Yeah, technical engineering going into the design of this thing. It's probably why it's so expensive. You never know. You might put this thing on your child and it may start screaming, and then when you take it off, it'll stop screaming, and that will be the end of that device. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to tell. Like, but but I've read reviews obviously, and I've seen like some some content around it and how it's hard functions but yeah we'll see how my, my baby likes it are they collecting your data <clears throat> oh, that's always a question right with any type of thing that connects to your phone and what doesn't connect to your phone i mean he set up a new phone yesterday and this morning he was still busy signing into apps i, I mean <laughs> like how do how did we get here we still you're signing into like 300 things on your phone and you don't realize it until you need to swap phones <laughs> yeah and it's also one of those situations where like you know you also realize how lax a lot of them are i mean like you know i i um i uh didn't sort of fall foul of an internet scam this week i almost fell into the trap but then just to be really sure i cleared my browser history and then ran a virus scan etc cetera, etc cetera. And then I went back and I'd forgotten like one of my passwords to, uh, let's just say the Facebook app. And then you go, oh, you forgot your password. Okay. Well, we'll send you a number to, <laughs> to, to your Hotmail. Do you, and when you log in, do you want us to sign out of the other devices? Because if you do, you can just tick this box. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we don't care. Whatever. 
Do your thing. Wow. So, okay, you'll let us know how it goes. Yes, yes, I will. It's we, very we, interesting. We, we've, we've, we've put down a marker here. In about four months, we'll revisit this conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's see how it goes. Maybe earlier. Maybe I'm, I'm very bored and need to write something, but let's see how it goes. Yeah, boredom, the great driver of content. <laughs> so, Mr. Malella, we understand that you have spent some time with the Arabian Nights. I have, yeah. Um, so I've been playing, I just I just did a, a review of Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, Ubisoft's new Prince of Persia game. The first one since like 2013, I think, which was, you guys know better than I. I have no I actually idea. Think, I actually think that Prince of Persia, the last Prince of Persia game might actually have been older than that. I remember a Prince of Persia game where you, the only thing I can remember about it was that you had claws and you could sort of slide down the side. Oh, no, wait, there's the the movie tie-in. When was the movie it was out? A, it was a VR one in about 2021. There was a VR Prince of Persia game? Okay, but I mean like mainline games. That's surely a spinoff. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. Let's go back to what you were playing instead. Yeah, yeah. So Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown is this really cool new Prince of Persia game. I really enjoyed it. My review was pretty glowing. Um... It's a new take on the genre, which is normally like a third person character action platforming game. Like you run around cities and like climb up walls and, and, and bash up lots of baddies with cool, you know, powers and weapons and stuff. This one is a Metroidvania, which I, do, should we explain what a Metroidvania is or just, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a 2D platformer exploration game. Side, side scrolling or is it? Well, it's, I guess, I don't know if you'd call a Metroidvania side scrolling because you're just, you're moving from screen to screen specifically, but it's a 2D platformer with ex, like deep exploration. Anyone who's ever played like obviously Metroid and Castlevania, but newer titles are like, Ori, those Ori games, and um, um, Hollow Knight is like a really famous. Um, so it's all about traversing the map and fighting bosses, and you you gather new both combat abilities and traversal abilities as you go. So you unlock new areas and you discover new items. Um, and the Lost Crown specifically takes place in this really amazing mountain kingdom um, called I suddenly can't remember the name of the of, of the actual mountain. Um, but it's this amazing mountain kingdom and you're there trying to rescue the prince of Persia. This is the first time you don't actually play as the prince. Typically you do. You're actually playing as like a soldier trying to, um, save him from having been kidnapped. And that's kind of the setup of the game. And this temple or this, I mean, this kingdom is like trapped in a time thing. Prince of Persia often deals with time. So it's trapped in this weird, like time sickness malaise where it flows randomly and differently. So you're running into soldiers from centuries ago and, and your own friends who like you've been running around for a day and they've been running around for a week and it's really cool. Um, but the game, the story's great. It's fun. It's not, I'm not going to go much more into it just because if you want to, you know, enjoy the story, you can play it and enjoy it for yourself. It's not going to light the world on fire, but it was really fun. The gameplay is spectacular. Um, it's, it's, everything flows really, really well. It was done by the same team that did the platforming aspects were done by the same team that did Rayman Origins. I don't know if you guys played that. Oh yeah, Rayman Origins is a fantastic, fantastic game. Fantastic game. It's it's like maybe the best 2D platformer I've, I've played. It's my favorite 2D platformer, Rayman Origins and Legends. And that DNA is so clear in this game. Like it, it feels good to run in a straight line, which is literally the simplest thing you can do in a game. So if you make that feel good, imagine how the rest of the game feels, that's right? A really, that's a really interesting take though, by the way, because it's, it's one of those things where for the longest time, you know, you you kind of with with Ubisoft with the with the way that um, the publisher is moving at the moment. And when I say the, I'm not saying anything bad about it, I'm not saying anything good about it. But a lot of their games are kind of like third person, 
adventure might be a game as a service might be for you know might be uh, just you know uh, an open world like watchdogs or or assassin's creed you know you've got the first person shooter game as a service you're about to have the pirate ship game as a service and one of the big complaints i always hear about ubisoft is like their games are so sort of homogenous in that like they all they're all a map clearing affairs, et cetera, et cetera. And people go, oh, for the days when we got like, you know, games like Rayman Legends and Rayman Origins and, you know, what was it? The Great War and, and things like that. And, and it's like, it's about time that Ubisoft took like the DNA of some of its most beloved, you know, colorful, wonderful franchises and made a new game out of it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said, when you say, when you tell someone like, oh, Ubisoft game, immediately, like everyone kind of has the same image in their head these days, like you would just describe those kind of games. So this really does, like the whole time playing it, it really does feel like, oh, this is different. This is new. This is fresh. And I love it. And it's good too. You know, it's this new kind of bold step for Ubisoft. I'd say like they've, they've become so secure in what they do. Um, and they really took a chance with like a small team reboot kind of of an old franchise. And I really think they nailed it. Um, it's a great game. I'm not going to like, I, I don't want to spend too much more time talking on it. I do briefly just want to say the combat in particular is fantastic. It's like, it's very character action, devil may cry, juggling combos and power ups things, but also very fighting game, which I love fighting games. And I love specifically like, you know, the, the fighting in a fighting game, which is the only thing you do. And the fighting or the combat in this game feels like a fighting game. It makes you feel like you're doing sick combos and like genuinely dominating another player, but it's completely accessible. You know, there's a parry, but it's pretty easy to get down if you just give it a bit of time. Um, they also do a lot to just make it not tedious. I think Metroidvanias can be really tedious sometimes. Brad, I'm sure you have opinions on that. Absolutely. But like backtracking isn't much of an... Yeah, backtracking isn't really much of an issue. There's a really nice guided mode where like you can turn it on and it will tell you where your next objective is. Most Metroidvanias like want you to discover that. They want you to just go to the places you haven't gone, which is cool if that's what you're into. I really enjoy just having a map marker, which was great. And like boss fights, if if you die in the boss fight, they don't make you like travel six screens just to get to the same fight and get wiped again. They let they they let you yeah, which is the worst. I hate that. Um, they literally just let you retry straight from the fight. Or if they're like, hey, if you think you need more prep time, go back to your last save, go do another area, get a new power up and try again. But yeah, just to close, just to close that out, like Lost Crown, you can read the full review on the site if you want to, but all in all, fantastic game. It's just fun, man. It's just like really pure fun, which is the, the best thing a game can be, I think. Well, that's great. I'm assuming that's not part of your exit strategies, uh, which is, unfortunately, we've reached the end of the podcast, and that's what we do here. We we talk about what we've been playing, reading, listening to, watching. You know, even if you've been on a decent walk and saw a concert or something, we talk about that. They're called exit strategies. So, Brad, we will start with you. What have you been up to? Right, so very unconventional for uh, this show in that I don't really have – a, a media product, but uh, an, an interesting piece of tech that I recently acquired and I've been using is a CPAP machine uh, because your boy uh, got diagnosed with a real bad case of sleep apnea. Uh, so brief summary on that. Basically, when I sleep, my throat closes and I can't breathe um, and I just don't get enough oxygen to my system. So I got and get a, went to go get a sleep apnea machine, which is a cool little device that fits over my nose and effectively pumps into my my system uh, to keep my throat open while I'm while I'm sleeping. Um, it's it's kind of neat. The, I wanna, I'm going to write about it this week because I think there is a 
not necessarily a, I can't think of the word, it's not necessarily a stigma, but it's like a, a the idea that people who have sleep apnea are all like over 60 years old and like, you know, morbidly obese. Um, when apparently that's not really the case at all. And it's actually a fairly common common thing that a lot of people have. Um, so when, you know, when I first was told about, hey, you're going to need to use this machine if you want to not feel like uh, crap anymore, I was initially quite sort of down on it. But the more I've used it, the more um, I've started actually feeling pretty good. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a neat, it's a neat little thing. Cost an arm and a leg, but it's... Uh, from so so far, how long it's have you been it. using it, Brad? Um, I've been using it. So I've used it about uh, not not too long, two days. I used one. Uh, I used like a like a diagnostic version about two weeks ago. Um, that worked wonders as well. It's the reason I'm on the current one. So not too long, but it is the sort of thing that like if I can use it, I I should use it. So you know, if I'm on a plane, probably not going to use it, but I'm probably going to travel with it. Um, it's just plugs into the wall. It's not battery powered. Um, silent as all hell. Comes with a humidifier to keep my nose nice and nice and wet, which is good. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a cool thing. I want to write about it this week, um, just because yeah, there is that idea that sleep apnea is like an old person thing, but uh, it's not. And people should, if they have it, people should try but and get themselves You are an old soul, machine. Brad. I'm an old soul. I've been around for a long time. This is like my this is like my fifth time around this world. I say, what have you been up to? Okay, so as we all know by now, I'm pregnant. Really? I, it is, it is actually my last podcast for a while. For a while, like you're not being like. No, not, I'm not. I'm not dying. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be incapacitated for a few months. Um, so I'll be handing over to my my trusty trusty journalists around here but anyway i love the way that she raised her eyebrow as she said that uh, what? my trusty journalist I do trust you just late sometimes <laughs> anyway that is true you can't deny that one <laughs> we're reliable but we're just we're just slow so yeah i think it's really hard for me to think about anything other than like baby things and planning for baby i'm very much in the nesting phase because i'm nine months pregnant mm. um and I've, everything I've been reading are baby books. Everything I've been consuming is really like baby related. And I don't want to bore my our, our audience with that. But the one thing I'm really excited to use once the baby's here is the our new stroller that we bought actually on Black Friday last year. Mm. It's called a Duna. And it's a stroller that turns into a car seat. It's all one unit. So instead of buying a whole stroller plus car seats and all of these additional extras, it's just one unit. And that's cool. And I, I'm very excited to use it. We've been pushing it up and down the hallway just to test. No, oh, cool. <laughs> and also the cats love what's it. The, uh, what's, <laughs> what's the price on that like one all-in-one thing compared to if you bought like a stroller and a seat and like whatever else it, it you know, daylights as? It's still very like fairly expensive. Um, when it comes to a car seat, you Maybe have stuff to- in general. Yeah, you have to buy something quality because it's like your child's safety, I guess. Um, you do get really cheap versions. Um, you can get them for like two grand or three grand. And then it's a car seat. And then the stroller on its by itself is also another three or four or five grand. Um, but then you get the really expensive travel systems that includes a bassinet and the car seat and all of these different 
part that you can. What is a bassinet? A bassinet is a flat surface that your baby can sleep in because when they're really small, they shouldn't be sitting up. They should be sleeping flat. Anyway, (laughs) um, and those can go upwards of like 20 to 30 grand. Um, And yeah, it really depends on like where you are in in the scale of like what I want to spend on my baby. But anyway, like the Duna is normally 9,000 Rand. I think we bought it for six and a half on Black Friday. Um, and just considering it's basically a two in one, I do feel like I kind of saved. <laughs> and it's also really good quality and it's rated really well for as a car seat. So good. Yeah, that's me. So Max, any baby seats, any sleep <laughs> apnea stuff? <laughs> No, no, I, I nothing, um, nothing quite so real or, 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 or like you know functional. I am um, so I've just moved to Cape Town for for a, a job, and um, currently the place I'm in doesn't have Wi-Fi, so I haven't been able to like stream anything or like play any of my games really or do anything like that. So I've been returning to some old, uh, some old favorites, and I watched. I just like. Uh, knowing you, you know the people who are talking on this podcast, and presumably the people who listen to it, you all know Alien, the movie Ridley Ridley Scott's movie, mm-hmm. um, and I rewatched that for like the hundredth time because I love that movie so much. Um, I just, oh man, it just gets better every time I watch it. Uh, I don't know, Nick. I'm sure you, you know, knowing you, I'm sure you've got some strong opinions about about Alien. No, it's just, it's it's really really good. Uh, I read a, a book called The Primal Screen by. Um, can't remember his first name, but his second name was Brosnan. And no, he was no uh, relation to Piers, an Australian film critic. And he basically tags um, uh, uh, Alien um, in a way that, uh, as as the as the major movie, uh, sorry, as the major uh, studio movie that saved science fiction from the playroom, because oh, around about cool. that time, Star Wars had come out. I think three years earlier or two years earlier, and studios were scrabbling around for the next Star Wars. Um, you know, they wanted this, uh, the, this, this, this kind of like science fiction that would appeal to kids of a younger age that you could slap on a lunchbox, that you could turn into a t-shirt, that you could turn into a, a toy. You know, television was going the same way. Battlestar Galactica, for example, comes straight off the back of, of Star, Star Wars. And here comes this cranky old English, this cranky English director who had literally just done one film up to that point called The Duelists, which is a very good film set during the Napoleonic Wars starring David Carradine and Harvey Keitel. Um, and he had made Alien, a rather nasty horror film set in space. And it was like... Oh, yeah, it's mean. Yeah. It's mean. And it's a mean movie. And so it was kind of like... Thank God for Alien, because otherwise, you know, the way that things were going with science fiction, it would literally have stayed in the place in the playroom. Was it a massive commercial success when it came out? Like seventy five is when it came out, right? Or like maybe seventy nine. It, it was a success in as far as horror films were at the time. But then again, you also remember at the time. I'm not saying obviously in that same year, but around that same era, you had things like The Exorcist and you had um, The Shining as well. Was another big one. It, it was certainly more of a success than his uh, the film he did after that, which was Blade Runner. Um, which was a box office oh, bomb, which is also amazing. Yeah, oh. absolutely. No, no, that was that was kind of like Ridley Scott's purple period, where he did uh, the Duelists, Alien, and then Blade Runner um, in rapid succession. But yeah, Alien is really, really good. I mean, to this day, I still think that that creature is one of the best designed and still most frightening sort of looking creatures I've ever seen in any movie ever. 
which of course was designed by H.R. Geiger. No, that, that, that double that double mouth is still just the most iconic thing in, to me and like all of sci-fi is just the alien double mouth, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I heard one critic say the thing that makes it so scary is that a lot of it, a lot of the creature's body parts, including the mouth, that double mouth, um, remind people of sex organs gone wrong. Yeah, but that is part of H.R. Geiger's um, whole aesthetic when designing that mm. that creature. And and it does, like, that's where the movie gets really interesting when you read more in, into the, the art direction and stuff, is that it's this male, like, this phallic male creature against a really strong female lead. And that's why I love Alien ah. so much is because, like, that's, one of probably the best examples of a strong female lead in like the seventies and eighties in film. You don't you didn't really get that then at that era. Hmm. Well, I mean, you did with the Terminator. Well, Terminator is another really good example. Mm. But now I feel like film is really focusing on trying to to push a narrative without making it feel organic. Mm. While at that point, like like Alien did it so well. Yeah, Ripley is Ripley is just an unadulterated yeah, badass amazing. through and through. Oh, yeah. she's the best. Yeah. Uh, well, from my end, um, I watched a TV series on Netflix called Soon Comes Night, which oh, yeah. I'm not going to tell anyone about because I wrote the review. And if you want to know what it's about, you got to read the site. <laughs> um, but suffice to say, suffice to say, it's an interesting one um, because you might notice when you watch Netflix or Showmax um, uh, television TV thrillers, like limited series, by the way, the, the idea of the fact that some individuals in the ruling party in this country are heinously corrupt hardly ever gets mentioned. And if it does get mentioned, it's usually played for laughs, like in um, How to Ruin Christmas. And also the fact that this particular political entity on its way into power made awful, like an awful lot of promises to an awful lot of people and then didn't deliver on any of them and kind of help themselves to all the pie. That doesn't really get mentioned in, a, in an awful lot of TV series on Netflix and Showmax that I've seen. And Soon Come Nights, like, just seriously zeroes in on that immediately. It's a very, very well-acted, well-made crime drama, and it's really worth checking out. So Soon Comes Night. Could you give us the setup? Like, just, just the back-of-the-box blurb without spoiling anything? Okay, so here's the setup. The setup is a bloke called Shabane, who used to be a liberation fighter during the struggle, is now a transit heist boss well a transit heist boss he's got a crew that robs transits and then he gets contacted by his old mates from the ruling party who basically say to him listen you're being very embarrassing to us we're going to offer you a job come and come and work for us in the ministry of defense or something and he says well what about my crew he said well screw your crew it's just for you he said well then screw you and so they launch a police investigation against him which uh, you know we all know that police work in this country, to a degree, can be an entrepreneurial activity. But this one actually has political heft behind it, and then it goes from there. So it's 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 kind of like, it's it's kind of like got a, a bit of a Chinatown vibe, and that like there are no good guys or bad guys. There are just guys within this sort of situation, and also very very capable people. Um, but yeah. Read the review. Watch watch the series. It's very good. Um, in terms of reading, I've just finished um, a book called Zero History by William Gibson. It's the third in a trilogy uh, called the Blue Ant Trilogy. And essentially what it's about is people working for a PR firm running around London trying to find the designer of a certain, a certain style of clothing because the PR firm wants to um, essentially go into this evergreen territory of manufacturing designs for military equipment for the United States. Because apparently you, you can design 
clothes, but you can't manufacture them. You know, all 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 American all American military stuff must be manufactured in the United States. But you can design stuff for them if you're a foreign company, and that brings uh, this these operatives and uh, this this um, this PR firm into collision with a rather nasty arms dealer who's kind of doing the same thing and decides that they're stepping on his turf. It's very well written. I mean, it's William Gibson. Yeah, it's William Gibson. That's all I need to say. If you know who William Gibson is, then you'll know it's good. Um, and playing, I've been playing Mad Max. It was 10 years since it came out. I thought I'd give it a go. And I've been enjoying it. That game came out 10 years ago already. Are you serious? No, this is a, a weird form of stand-up, Max. And I'm trying to get <laughs> out on you on the podcast. How do you okay. think it's going? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Max is just shocked because he was 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was in, yeah, I was like just in in high school when that came out, you know? Yeah. That feels like a long time ago to me. Well, imagine how much high school feels to the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. didn't that, it didn't get rave reviews when it came out. I heard there was like server issues as well. Um, well, no, the, the, it didn't get didn't get rave reviews, but it, it, it got sort of like, it's good. It's solid. And I can report that, that yes, it's good. It's solid. It has a silly story, um, but it's quite fun to, ru- to drive around the wasteland blowing things up. Um, collecting things, turning your car into this, you know, beast on wheels, um, turning Max into this, uh, from this bloke wearing a t-shirt and leathers to a bloke who's wearing, you know, a a flak jacket with a steel girder, well, not girder, steel bits and pieces attached to his hand. So when he hits someone, it rakes their face open, a four-barreled shotgun, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite fun building that up. It reminds me a lot of the Assassin's Creed games in a bit, because when I play Assassin's Creed and same way I played Bad Mags, I kind of approach it like a jigsaw puzzle. Like, you know, you're, you know, filling in this thing. And then at the end, you filled it in. And that was fun while it lasted. Did it challenge you intellectually? No, but it was fun. Um, the one thing, though, I will say about Mad Max is it, um, it reminded me of uh, a belief I've had, which is um, any developers who tie um, an achievement to uh, a server that at some point is going to be shut off so you won't be able to 100% the game once this happened deserve a special place in hell because that's what's happened with this. There's an achievement that you can't get because it's attached to a server, which that server's been shut off. What's the achievement? The achievement is called Up to the Task and you get it by doing wasteland challenges. And one of those wasteland challenges is that you develop something called a scrap crew. And in old days, when you turned the game off, this thing called the scrap crew would go out and collect scrap for you while you were, you know, away having a coffee or in bed. Then you'd come back and you'd see the collected scrap. And one of the challenges um, that feeds into this achievement is your scrap crew have to have collected 500 scrap. But since the servers that allowed these things to happen got turned off about a couple of years ago, I think it was last year, that no longer happens. So you can never get that achievement. And to everyone involved in making Mad Max, I hope that you have something precious in your house and that your child knocks it onto the floor and breaks it. (laughs) That is what I hope happens to you right strong words Nick. indeed <laughs> well that brings us to the end of the show so thank you very much brad thank you thank you very much max thanks for having me and thank you very much marseille we will miss you marseille thank you nick um um hope you'll miss me no we will definitely miss you i mean who's gonna edit this thing i don't know who's gonna sort out the coffee when we come <laughs> <You> around <don't... laughs> wow that's what you value this me was, for this was nick's last podcast as he was fired by the owner shortly afterwards <laughs> But thank you very much for listening. We will see you again in two weeks. Marseille won't, but she's still in charge.
My name's Brad Lang and I'm here to say I have sleep apnea in a major way. My name's Brad Lang and I'm here to say I have sleep apnea in a major way.